We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. We're talking NFL draft results on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Welcome on into RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. We are brought to you by the good folks at the FFPC. And the draft has quickly come and quickly passed. So we finally have landing spots for these rookies. We get to break them down very quickly, very brief, very briefly, because we have a lot of content. Matt, how'd the props go? Uh, amazingly well. Um, so the, I mean, the biggest thing was that I was really heavy on Kyler Murray going number one overall and, uh, heavy on that pretty early on. Um, the rest of my props, I would say I was slightly above break even, um, actually probably a little bit better than that, but the, the Kyler Murray, uh, number one overall, I was betting on that, uh, starting in February. So that was the thing that really put me over the top. So very, very nice little weekend. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, so you've been on, on quite a nice streak, um, with the NCAA tournament leading into the draft. Um, but let's just, let's get into the fantasy talk right off of uh, off of the bat here your favorite landing spot um for a particular player or uh, if you want to take it a different direction i do think that there was a number of teams that made some really exciting moves so i'll let you maybe if you want to kind of turn things around and highlight one or two or th- even three teams that you really liked what they did as opposed to just your favorite landing spot for a single player uh cuz as we know you generally have more than one take <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about as many as five teams if I wow. want to. No, um, okay. no, the, I mean, I think the the player or the the group of players. It's, I mean, it's all kind of the same thing. Like the Cardinals, uh, they really intrigued me with what they did during the draft, and I think Kyler Murray uh, landing with, uh, you know, a head coach he really likes in Cliff Kingsbury in an offense that suits his strengths. I think that is obviously a great landing spot. People kind of knew that, but Andy Isabella going at the end of the second round. To the Cardinals, uh, my mind was blown 
I think that is a perfect <laughs> landing spot for him. Um, he's a a multiple kind of wide receiver in the things that he does. He can play inside. He can play outside. He can carry the ball. They can even put him in the backfield sometimes if they want to. Like there are a lot of things they could do with him. Uh, and then of course on the defensive side of the ball, getting Byron Murphy at the top of the second round uh, was a fantastic selection. Uh, Zach Allen at the top of the third round was good. Hakeem Butler at the top of the fourth round. Um, I think there's a lot of value there. Even the people who aren't really that high on Hakeem Butler are like, yeah, that was a good pick at the top of the fourth round Deontay Thompson the safety out of Alabama at the top of the fifth round um, he's a guy that at one point even in the middle of the football season uh, people were thinking he could be a potential first rounder Uh, and then Caleb Wilson uh, as I believe uh, Mr. Irrelevant the last guy selected in the draft uh, in the seventh round uh, tight end out of UCLA like I thought he was one of the top five tight ends in the class Um, athletic uh, good size for his uh, his speed, uh, and then a uh, pretty strong receiving guy as well out of UCLA. So I really liked what Arizona did. I don't know if uh, if you have any thoughts on them. Well, I I liked it for a number of reasons, but I think the thing that I found most encouraging was you have a team that's actually putting things together in a way that makes sense. Now, let let me frame that here. They go ahead and they make the move to get rid of Rosen, who was a solid prospect, bring in Kyler Murray. Instead of just taking that step, they're actually going to make every effort it looks like to equip him with what he needs to succeed, uh, which is something that we don't always see done. For example, as we've talked about, Russell Wilson in Seattle was not always given the players around him that they needed. But I like how this looks for Kyler Murray to be successful. So in addition to a wide receiver core that had a Larry Fitzgerald, who I have to imagine is going to be a great presence for a young quarterback to have. They already had Christian Kirk, a player that a lot of guys at Rotoviz still feel very strongly about. You bring in these two solid receivers, a tight end, that could be another option. I just thought it was tremendous in that they realized they have this quarterback they want to build around, and they're actually building around him uh, with a very offense-heavy approach in this draft. Yeah. Um, Another team that really interested me... uh the Colts who for a couple of years with, uh, with a new general manager have, uh, I think been doing things pretty intelligently in the draft. Uh, they traded out of the first round, uh, you know, moved back 20 spots, which is significant, but they were able to get uh cornerback Rocky sin at the top of the second round. And a lot of people considered him to be the top, uh, press man cover corner in the class, or at least one of the top press man cover corners. Uh, so a, a good, I think moved by them still to get him in the second round. And then with moving back, they added a second rounder in next year's draft. Uh, so a good move. And then they were able to get an edge rusher out of TCU. Uh, and then Paris Campbell, uh, wide receiver out of Ohio State, um, fast guy, productive last year, has some versatility. I think he will fit in well with what they want to do. Um, just a, another good weapon for Andrew Luck there. So I uh, really liked what they did. Yeah, you know, I think that um, some people are a little bit discouraged in where Paris Campbell landed because, yes, on one hand, it's a solid offense. You have Andrew Luck throwing to him, but they feel that there might be somewhat of a competition between Campbell and Naheem Hines for a role. Um, I don't know if I'm that down on him. I think he did kind of move down a little bit in my overall ranking. But the one thing that you could look at as being encouraging is in an offense like that, he can be used in a specialized role and not need as much volume as he might um, in another situation. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. For you, did that lower him down a lot or did he kind of stay where you would have had him? He stayed pretty much where I would have had him, but I think it is a, a really good landing spot. And I don't see there being any competition really between uh, Campbell and Naheem Hines. Like I think they play... I know they're kind of similar in that they're both like close to the line of scrimmage players, but like they play different positions. I think they're going to use them differently. Um, So I think it's a a good situation and like to kind of frame it differently. Like I think, I think Campbell could be a guy who's a weapon for that team five years from now. I doubt we'll be talking about Naheem Hines as a guy on that team in five years. Yeah, that's a, that's a very fair point. Um, So that's Indy. Who else uh, were you impressed with? 
Uh, Philadelphia, of course. Um, I think they've been doing some pretty intelligent things for a number of years. Uh, I really like, so normally I think it's, it's smart for teams to move back. Um, but if you can trade up and do it without giving up a lot, I think it makes sense. And, uh, I liked a move that the, uh, Eagles did in the first round, moving up from 25th to 22nd to, uh, jump over the Houston Texans so they could draft Andre Dillard, uh, out of Washington state. They didn't have to give up all that much for a, you know, a three pick move. Um, but they got their guy, uh, and Dillard is, uh, you know, one of the best, if not the best, Run blocking, not run blocking, pass blocking, offensive tackles, a left tackle specifically in the class. Um, and, you know, they're going to need that. Uh, so he's, he's probably going to be just a swing tackle for them in year one. But, like, he's going to be a long-term guy on their offensive line, um, you know, maybe for a decade. So it, I think, was a great move. Um, they totally screwed the Houston Texans, who <laughs> at that point were like, okay, we don't know what to do. We're just literally going to draft the next left, left tackle on our board, which was a small school guy. It was just like, man, that was that was bad. Um, and then in the second round, they drafted Miles Sanders out of Penn state uh i think a great landing spot for him uh and then jj arcega whiteside uh another second rounder out of stanford um who probably won't do all that much this year but i think has really nice long-term potential because although you can look at that wide receiver group uh with the eagles and say like oh yeah like it's full there were three guys here alshon jeffrey deshaun jackson uh and nelson Aguilar. like they're all gonna start like that might that might not be the case like Aguilar might be traded uh alshon and djax like those guys are both old like or say go whiteside like he could have a pretty significant role on that team as early as next year for sure and and i think a lot of it comes down to with whiteside if you felt very strongly about him going into the draft this is the type of landing spot and it goes back to what you've talked about before that you shouldn't let cloud your opinion of him um because it is easy to start thinking about the numbers but Deshaun Jackson I mean it's even a very real possibility that this season he may not be um, the Deshaun Jackson that we're used to so I I agree there for Sanders I think it was a pretty good spot and it's funny when you mentioned the Texans just kind of defaulting to the position they were going for it does remind me of what we see people do sometimes in a draft when you're too locked in on one player And in a fantasy draft, he gets taken before you and then you panic and you just grab that position, um, which is why you always want to have your backup plan in place. Uh, I I thought the the Dolphins actually with what they did to get Josh Rosen and how they went about it was actually a pretty savvy move. Oh, yeah, I like that, too. Well, well, so they were, um, you know, like picking 13th in the second round. They traded down um, to the 62nd pick. Right. Uh, and uh, so obviously you had the Cardinals uh, wanting that 13th pick in the second round. Uh, the Dolphins pretty much said, uh, no, thanks. Go screw yourselves. Traded down to the 62nd pick in exchange for that, got a second rounder in next year's draft and then flipped the 62nd pick to to the, the Cardinals for Rosen. So basically they uh, they're getting Rosen almost for free. Basically, all they have to do is wait a year to draft their their second rounder but uh great move by them yeah and i with the contract that rosen had too it pretty much mainly been paid out last year so i think they have him for like two million a year for the next two seasons yeah three Um, seasons three seasons wow um so it will be interesting to see too you know if they if they roll with him or if they go with fitzpatrick um you know (laughs) perhaps some people think that they might try to uh lose some games um which you could probably easily do with with Fitzpatrick, but I suppose you could with Rosen as well. Um, I think you could. I think you could lose more easily with Rosen. With like Rosen. Fitzpatrick has a wider range of outcomes. You know what I mean? Like Fitzpatrick is so yellow that he could win a couple of games on his own just by being like, "Screw it, I'm I'm throwing this ball deep, and maybe one of my guys will get it." Um, I don't think Rosen has that in him. Yeah, you know, I also wonder too, if you do put in Fitzpatrick, is there like a chance that the team just really loves him and embraces him that then it almost like makes it harder for Rosen to acclimate himself into being the guy when he finally gets the chance? Yeah, um, like completely narrative driven, but it seems possible. I think that's possible. And I think the idea of, of uh, trading for Rosen is that you give him a chance, 
right? Um, if it works out, that's awesome. You acquired a franchise quarterback for nothing. Um, if he doesn't work out, you want to, I think, give him as much um, as much rope as possible to know for sure that he doesn't work out. And if he doesn't work out, then he tanks your team in the process, giving you a much better chance to get a, a good quarterback next year. Like I think, I think the smart move is to go with Rosen for as as long as you can. Yeah, and I do think that it's possible uh, you have an, an average NFL quarterback too. So um, I thought it was really savvy that they went out and got him. And the Dolphins, I don't want to say, are going to be a team that I expect to compete at any point in time, but at least like a move like that feels like a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, player that moved the highest up your rankings – if you can pick one, if I can pick one, um, okay, I will pick the. I, I'll kind of frame it in a couple of different ways. Yep. So the one who moved the furthest up my rankings that I think is the most impactful is Kyler Murray. Okay. Um, and I moved him from, and it's weird because like we knew exactly where he was going this whole time. So nothing really changed with him. What changed in the draft was the landing spots for all of the other guys, yep. uh, or not even necessarily the landing spots, but the draft equity, the draft capital. That was the big thing that changed. So Murray, for me, moved up um, from like the bottom of the first round to, uh, I mean, I don't want to say, because my rankings, my rookie rankings are going to be released on uh, Action Network, and that will be behind a paywall, so I don't want to say too much, but like he's <laughs> he's up there. Like he yeah. moved from the bottom of the first round to much higher than that. Um, so, uh, and a lot of that just had to do with, again, uh, I thought there were going to be more wide receivers uh, selected higher in the draft and even some running backs selected higher in the draft. So it's not so much that I think a lot of his situation improved, although I think it, it did in that um, they put a lot of wide receivers around him. Um, so maybe a little bit better than what I was expecting, but really it's sort of like he moved up because other guys moved down. Um, and then one guy who really was not on my radar, uh, McCole Hardman, obviously yep. just the, the landing spot, uh, in Kansas city. And then looking more into him and being like, okay, this is a guy who's fast, 21 years old, um, number two athlete in the country as a recruit, um, moved from defensive back to, wide receiver, uh, you know, was able to score touchdowns as a runner, as a return man. Um, like you never say that someone is Tyree kill or something like that, but like, there's a lot there to work with. Um, so he's someone who obviously had to move up the board. Yeah. That was the player that I was going to mention. I mean, yes, definitely came way off the radar, uh, and a name that you wouldn't have expected. It does make a lot of sense for the Chiefs, though. But the one thing that I would caution with people is, yes, he's going to be filling and looks like a great filling for that Tyreek Hill role. However, though, Tyreek Hill may have had that little extra bit of quickness that makes a huge difference in that you see very, very few guys that were ever running at the same speed as Tyreek Hill, uh, whereas Hardman in, is in a range where we do see other players. So perhaps yeah. if you take away that little bit of an edge, it really was Hill and it was not just playing that role in this specific offense, albeit a very good offense. Yeah, I mean, certainly, like, I don't think we should expect at all Hardman to be like a one for one replacement on Tyreek Hill. And the thing that people kind of don't remember about Tyreek Hill is like, it's easy to look at what he did as a junior at Oklahoma State and like, you see, um, like versatile production, but you don't see like overwhelming production. Like he didn't have like a thousand yards, for instance. Um, and it's easy to look at what he did after he left Oklahoma State, where he he did almost nothing. Right. And he was playing at at a lower level of college. Um, he was basically just like a return man. It's easy to see that and be like, this guy didn't do much in college at all. But that overlooks the fact that, and like, I hate to go back to junior college because, like, what is junior college really? But like, he was an amazing player at junior college. Like, good enough at junior college to be one of the top recruits to go to. Oklahoma State. Um, so like he and he played as a running back in junior college 
Um, and he was phenomenally productive, both as a runner and also especially as a receiver. So like he, like you could look at what he did as a, as a receiver, as a running back and be able to kind of project forward that you had a, a guy who was, uh, versatile and really dynamic, uh, and say, okay, if, if that guy is, uh, as fast as Tyreek Hill, um, that could be a really productive guy in the NFL. Like Hardman doesn't have that. Like he just has sort of like projection of production. He doesn't have actual production. So, um, yeah, it will be it, it will be very surprising if he turns into something approximating Tyree Kill. But even if he's like seventy five percent of Tyree Kill, that could be really good. Yeah, definitely. And I think if we move away from a dynasty lens, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with a player like that in redraft where his ADP will fall. Um, Cause I'm inclined to say that he's actually probably going to be valued higher from a dynasty lens, just because there's going to be oh, more yeah. people that are paying attention to that when perhaps his actual, like this time that he's most likely to make an impact possibly could be the 2019 season. Yeah, I mean, I think um, he's a great best ball pick. Uh, like, I think there will be a lot of people who maybe aren't aware of him. Um, so, yeah, you have to think with all of these guys, like, what is the marketplace in which they offer the most value? There are some guys I want for Dynasty that I really won't want for Redraft and vice versa. Um, looking at uh, two guys who felt the most for me, yep. like, these are probably obvious, but DK Metcalf and Hakeem Butler um, like, I don't see how you couldn't help, but move those guys down your board. Uh, I think I moved them further than a lot of, um, a lot of rankers have. Like, I think Metcalf is still going like for some people in the middle of the first round. Um, he's much yep. further than that for me. Yeah. I didn't really know what to do with Metcalf because I reached a point when I was working through updating my rankings where it just was kind of lukewarm on a lot of players even with the landing spot, especially um, because we didn't see, and there really weren't many situations where running backs were going to take huge jumps this year. Um, So I kind of felt like I'd go for the upside when I was slating him in. I forget exactly where I put him. Um, But yeah, it's not like this is a slam dunk situation. Hopefully it can help. uh, Hopefully it can help Russell Wilson, but I definitely definitely um can see why you can be even more pessimistic on Metcalf than if you had been before because clearly uh the NFL teams realized too that you know there were some aspects missing to his profile yeah uh Hakeem Butler um there are some people who are talking like he's still in the first round like is he like I don't I don't see how that's possible like I just I don't see like from a value perspective um, I don't see at all how you could have a fourth, a fourth round wide receiver, uh, drafted in the first round in any sort of league where people are like self-respecting, <laughs> like, I just, like, like that yeah, be a well, horrible way to put it. I, I just, I don't see it. I guess it would be basically if you feel like Butler is better than Isabella, you feel good about this Cardinals offense and you think that uh, for whatever reason, when they actually get inserted into this Cliff Kingsbury system, Butler's go- going to be the one that will shine. So I guess you'd have to be down on Isabella pretty high, <laughs> pretty high on Butler and then feel good about the Cardinals offense overall. Yeah, I mean, basically, you just have to ignore the fact that the NFL said this guy does not deserve to be drafted in the top 100 picks. Like. You just have to say, uh, no, I think he uh, does deserve to be drafted and I'm going to pretend as if he was. Yeah, you know, I was actually kind of surprised, too, by that slide to the fourth, because in listening to the, you know, the film watchers, the guys that are grinding the tape, it seemed like he was being so well received that I would have expected (laughs) that would translate to the scouts and and, and these teams and the GMs and all that. I mean, you know, uh, a, a pretty significant film watcher had uh, him as the number one overall guy, um, you know, of wide receivers all time that he's graded. And like, you know, maybe he's right. Like maybe the stuff that he looks at, that makes sense. And it, it's predictive. And uh, it points to Hakeem Butler as a fantastic talent. And even if it doesn't work out, that doesn't mean that his process is wrong. But um, 
I don't know. I just I don't see how at this point moving forward people could have uh, Butler ranked in the top 12. That just like that seems irresponsible and yeah. uh, going against like what history tells us. Right. Now he is going to be a player that fell for a lot of people. And I have to imagine that Isabella shot up. I, I, you know, maybe not everybody was as high as you on him that he would have been winning their tournament. <laughs> um, but for me, he, he, he stayed, definitely he, shot yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, he stayed in basically the exact same spot because I was like, I was <laughs> expecting him like to be drafted in the top hundred. Like we yep. we had even talked about it. Like I was like, you know what? I could see the end of round two. Um, you know, so it's it's basically right where he was. I'm really thrilled with his landing spot. Um, you know, actually, one guy we should talk about is David Montgomery. Um, yep. Because like, okay, where where do you think he should be ranked? Oh, it's tricky. You know, I had gone through my first pass and I had him really low. Then I went back in, updated things. He moved up a pretty high. And then I ended up with him in the middle. I am not as bullish on him as some are. Like I know we have one person that has him ranked number two. Um, I think that he probably falls maybe somewhere like seven or eight if you're doing rookie rankings. Yeah. Um, Okay. This is what I'm going to say might sound contradictory. I think I'm um, higher on him, like as a prospect, as a, like a talent yep. than most people. Um, but I think in rookie drafts, I'm going to be lower on him than most people. Um, you know, he was a third rounder. Uh, he, he's in a landing spot where, um, like, I don't think we can say for sure he's going to get usage. Um, like I think we can say pretty clearly, like Tarek Cohen is going to have, uh, like his share of targets, his share of carries, um, Mike Davis might siphon yep. some stuff away. And so like, I can't look at a third round running. And then I should say like, I value wide receivers more than running backs in rookie mm-hmm. drafts. So mm-hmm. like, I can't look at a whole bunch of wide receivers drafted in the second round and put a third round running back in an uncertain situation ahead of them. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I yep. feel like I, I can't do that. And this so, is interesting too, because yeah. Montgomery was one of your higher ranked running backs. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, and he's still, he is still one of my higher ranked running backs and I have him quite low, which I guess sort of says all that needs to be said about this running back class. Okay. Well, I have a couple of follow-ups on that, but let's, um, let's take a quick pause here to remind you all out there about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first dynasty league, and they've now grown to be the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. The FFPC leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now starting at $77 and up in standard Superflex and best ball formats FFPC also has plenty of other great redraft formats including best ball draft starting at $35 all the way up to $1,250 entry fees both slow and live leagues are filling and launching daily so definitely head to myffpc.com and get into these dynasty or best ball leagues This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. So, David Montgomery took a little bit of a hit for you, a player that you liked. I really liked Daryl Henderson. He goes to the Rams. A lot of people are viewing this as a bad situation for him. Does not find himself as a team's lead back. But I think that 
it's okay. You know, like I'm not as pumped up about this as I maybe would have liked to have been, but I'm certainly not as negative as some people are. Where did you fall out on how you feel about this landing spot? Um, I think it's fine. I mean, I was never expecting him to be a lead back anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's with a, a good coach, like good offensive system, um, a back who, um, I don't know. I mean, like there's a lot that is unknown about Todd Gurley. It wouldn't be surprising if Henderson actually played less like a backup and more like a change of pace guy. Um, I think it could actually be a good situation yeah. for him. And I mean, would it really be a surprise if in like two years from now he were the starter? Like, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised by that. No, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And as you said, with the uncertainty coming off of last season, where we see in very, very important game situations, CJ Anderson getting tossed in to a very substantial role, really succeeding. It's not out of the realm of possibility that as early as week one or week two, we see him getting in the mix. Um, You know, I still personally feel like Gurley is... an extremely talented back. He is one of the few backs that really can separate himself from the pack, but that doesn't mean that it's going to continue for another two or three seasons. So I think that there's short-term value for Henderson, and I think there's also long-term value. And like you said, it's a good coach, good offense, successful team. There's a lot of other pieces that are going to allow this team to be successful. So overall, I think it's kind of like a disguised landing spot that's actually going to work out well for a player like Henderson. Yeah, I can see that. So let's, let's get back to receivers though. So in Keel Harry goes to the Patriots uh, to end the first round. People are naturally excited about this. We've talked a lot about Harry, Uh, the player that you and I weren't as sold on that went to the Ravens in the first round is Marquise Brown. So Clearly, the Ravens like him. I am having trouble getting on board with Brown now, especially given the fact that he's going to be playing with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Yeah, I think it's a horrible landing spot. And there were already questions about Brown because of his size and unverified speed. Um, so uh, I, don't, I have him ranked about where I had him before the draft. Um, but I was already kind of down on him. So uh, he's going behind a number of second round wide receivers. And like, I don't know, like draft position is, I think, really important. Like it should be, I don't want to say it's the center of everything, but like it's, it's a backbone for what I do. And I have to feel pretty strongly about certain players to, to move them outside of like a, a pretty significant draft range. So for me to have Brown going after a number of second round wide receivers, like that says something about those guys, but then it it probably says more about Brown. Like I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty down on his situation. Well, the other thing too is if he is not able to come out and produce right away, I don't think that he has an easy path to getting back into being a sought after receiver by teams. And even if this is situational where it's really the fact that he's playing in an offense that's not working for him, he's playing with a quarterback that isn't that good. Um, Jury's out on that. We know where I stand on that. Given the size, it's going to be hard for him to sell himself to teams again. You know, it's different maybe than a player like you know, a Corey Davis who does not pan out how a team might expect, but you could see other teams in the future getting excited if they have a chance to go out and acquire him. So I think for Brown, he's going to have to be able to come out and produce right off of the, you know, right off of the bat, or yeah. it's going to be a long career. It's a little like a short Sean career, Ross. I guess I should say. Yeah. Yep. You know, like um, drafted in the top 10 has done nothing for two years at this point. Like, I don't know if they could even trade him away. Um, they being the Bengals, like, I think they might have to cut him. I don't know if there's another team that would give up a draft pick for him. So, um, yeah, with these small guys, it like when it doesn't work out, things can go against you quickly. Yeah. Um, all right. I I know that we'd plan to just kind of look down the list. Um, so we're, we're just kind of spitballing here. Uh, but before I forget at pick number six, the giants take Daniel Jones. How bad of a pick was that? It was horrible. Um, 
I, I mean, I don't think it was the worst pick of all time, but um, it was, I mean, it was a bad pick. At least you can say they got a quarterback. So like, it's better to take a quarterback at six, even if it's a bad quarterback than to take a running back at six um, or number two. Um, but it's not, it's not a good situation. Like I know that there are really respected people who say that Daniel Jones is a good quarterback. Um, Gil Brandt, he didn't just compare him to Peyton Manning. He said he is Peyton Manning, which just seems kind of ridiculous. Yes. But uh, okay, there are there are people who think he's going to be a good player. Um, there are reportedly other teams that would have taken him before 17. Um, so I don't know if that means, um, that the people who think Daniel Jones is going to be bad if they are wrong, or if it means that there are, uh, there are just multiple idiots in the NFL. Um, I think that is probably more likely, but you know, I might be wrong. Um, so I think it was a really bad pick just kind of based on the numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. so I mean, the one thing that I think could be a saving grace for him from a fantasy perspective is that he's um, he's actually a pretty decent runner. Um, he has decent enough athleticism. So the comp I had for him was like basically Josh Allen light. Like Josh Allen, except like less everything, um, less arm strength. Um, I don't know, just like just everything that people could come up with that is good with Josh Allen. Um, Jones is like that, except he has all of those things in just a little bit less capacity. Right. And the the thing that I really wanted to bring up here that's most perplexing about this, if there really are multiple teams that were go that, you know, were interested in Jones before pick 17, we have a lot of teams that have no idea what they're doing. Uh, Daniel Jones, his adjusted yards per attempt, 6.2. Okay. That is worse than what you should be doing in the NFL. And we never see players improve in metrics like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, as I've talked about before, every single threshold that you can look at that is going to give you some idea of if a quarterback is ruled out from NFL success is there for Dan, you know, it's there for Daniel Jones. The same thing was the same thing went for Drew Locke, who, you know, didn't it just feel like Denver was going to end up going for him, of course they do. Now they also got Noah Fant. Uh, talk to me about those guys and how, and how you thought the Broncos did there. I mean, I think so. I think the big mistake would have been Drew Locke at ten. So at least they avoided that. Getting Drew Locke at forty-two is much better. Um, like he he looks like a day two pick. That's where they got him. They need a quarterback. Um, you know, potential quarterback of the future. That's what he is. So I, I think they did a, actually a good job there in waiting and letting him fall down the board. Um, you know, so that is good. Fant getting him um, at 20 and trading down. I think that was also good because they potentially could have taken him at 10. Yep. Um, so I think that was actually pretty smart. Um, and then let me uh, let me look a little at this. I think they drafted a a tackle too. Right. Like I think they got their guy in uh, Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State um, at the ninth pick in the second round. Like that is a good move because they they needed help on the offensive line. Um, And yeah, you're right. A a really versatile guy in terms of what he can do. Um, He played right tackle for three seasons, but I think he also played center uh, for one season at Kansas State. Like there's a lot that he could do on the offensive line. Like I think he could pretty much play all five positions, maybe not left tackle, but like he can, he can do whatever it is that they need him to do. So getting him was, I think a, a great move considering that he could have been a, a first rounder. So, uh, I actually like what they did in their draft, at least in the first couple of rounds. Yep. So we had, Another team going with a tight end early, that, of course, being the Detroit Lions, who take TJ Hawkinson, who we know that you're a huge fan of, at pick eight. Uh, This could be viewed as Matt Patricia trying to get himself a Gronkowski, or could also be viewed as the Lions trying to recoup uh, what has happened prior with their tight end picks. As far as the landing spot goes for Hawkinson... Can we expect an immediate impact? Does this make you feel better about him? Make you feel worse? Um, I don't. 
I, I mean, he's going to be starting, I think, in week one. Uh, I'm not going to be too optimistic about what he does as a rookie um, from a fantasy perspective, but like, I do expect him to have a good all-around rookie season in terms of like he's on the field, um, he's maybe not uh, getting a lot of receptions, but he's making a lot of blocks. Like he's learning the offense. Like he's a valued part of what they're doing and you can see him progress throughout the year. Um, so that's what I'm expecting long-term. I think he's going to be great. I think it just might take a couple of years to get there. Like it, it took Greg Olson, you know, like four years, five years or something like that to become like a guy who was great. Um, I don't, want it to take that long for TJ Hawkinson, (laughs) but like sometimes it just takes tight ends a little bit of time. Um, you know, Gronk wasn't even like Gronk wasn't bad as a rookie, like not at all, but he was basically just a, a touchdown scorer, which you say that and it's like, yeah, that's really awesome. But like, he didn't do much else. Like he wasn't a guy who was running routes all over the field. He was just like a kind of specialty package guy. I think that's what Hawkinson will kind of be. Like, I think they will bring him along slowly and hopefully the breakout happens in year two, but I think we'll still see progress with him, with him as an all-around player in year one. Yeah, that that's completely fair. Now, Josh Jacobs goes to the Raiders at pick 24. I'm not a huge fan of Jacobs, but you do have to appreciate the fact that uh, the team did go ahead and use this first round pick on him. And I feel like they will try to heavily utilize him. So regardless of what I feel about the player, Jacobs, I think you probably have to slate in as a top three pick in rookie drafts. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think the the bigger question is, um, I hate to say this because I'm, like, I'm at the point of turning into like a Jacobs apologist and I don't want to be there. I'm just trying to be like a realist. Like, I think he should be 101. Mm-hmm. Like... So I I know that I say I value wide receivers over running backs in dynasty and like that's that's true I absolutely do but you do need high end running backs and there aren't all that many of them out there and I don't think Jacobs is I don't think he's that type of guy but one I might be wrong and then two whether he is or isn't he's going to get volume like I right. feel very confident in projecting him for volume and so even if he's not a good player that could make up for it on its own. Um, so like I'm looking at the guys who are 21 years old as rookies, like that's one massive thing he has going for him. And a lot of people aren't talking about that is he's very young. So a first rounder who's 21 years old, who actually was really efficient in certain metrics. Um, he was first, uh, in positive play rate at 59.2% last year. He was second with 38 broken tackles per 100 touches, second with 2.4 yards per out, second and 41.9 expected points added. And that last one, expected points added, that's like a a total metric, a raw metric. That's not per touch. So even though he was getting fewer touches than a lot of other backs, he was doing much more with those touches, right? So you look at all of those things put together, um, and then you think like he's going to be given a lot of opportunities. I I think I have to put him at, at 101. Here's here's a list of the um over the past two decades, the eleven guys taken in the, the first round um as twenty-one year old backs and guys who are like big, not like CJ Spiller or something. Right. Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Beanie Wells, Jonathan Stewart, Marshawn Lynch. Lawrence Maroney, Stephen Jackson, TJ Duckett, Jamal Lewis, Edron James. So oh like even, even though there are some guys who was like, eh, he didn't do much. Literally every guy on that list had multiple seasons of fantasy utility. So like, I think he's a high floor guy with actually a pretty high ceiling too. Yeah. I um, actually ended up slating him in at uh, my 101 in my rankings. And I do think that if I had a first overall pick in a rookie draft this year, he is the player that I would take at one. Um, continuing down the the list here, Debo Samuel goes to the 49ers at pick 36. I was not expecting him to see, or I, was, I wasn't expecting to see him go this quickly. I don't know that you and I even really talked about him that much. With him landing in San Francisco, uh, what are your thoughts? Are you interested in him? Are you fading him? Where are you? I'm a little conflicted. Um, 
So obviously I had to move him up my my board, but I didn't I didn't move him up all that high because I still had him roughly in that range. But um, I thought of him as more of a third rounder, not a high second rounder. I don't think his landing spot is all that great, um, but it's not inconceivable to think that he beats out Dante Pettis. Um, there are a lot of targets that, that are going to be opening up with the departure of Pierre Garçon, which I think actually is kind of like what Debo Samuel is. Yep. Like they have similar body types, similar type of athleticism. Um, Samuel was really productive and like versatile um, in college. Um, and I think like that's one of the things that could like filter into how he's used. So I don't know, like I don't. I'll, I'll put it like this. Even if I have him ranked uh, in the first round, I don't want to draft him in the first round. Like I will be very disappointed in any draft I'm in if he's someone I walk away with as my round one pick. Yeah, I get that. Um, isn't putting rankings together like the oddest thing because you have so many of these little nuanced kind of thoughts that you're trying to get into your rankings um, especially when you're going like 240 players deep. Yeah. And I mean, with the rankings that I'm doing, like I'm doing write-ups for all of these rookies. So like I can say like the numbers, like my models point to this guy as a, you know, a guy who should be slotted here, but I think he should be higher. Like just my gut thinks yep. he should be higher or my gut thinks he should be lower. Yeah. that That's why I always recommend to people to like, um, Wherever you go for your rankings that you're getting or, or wherever you're getting them, um, like try to find a little bit more insight from the people that are pulling them together exactly what they were thinking, because it might just help you understand like the point of view that they were coming from a little bit better. Maybe if they just intuitively value certain positions more than others, and maybe with the team that you're managing, that isn't necessarily the approach that you would that you would want to take. So that was Debo Samuel. Uh who else do we have? Oh, Irv Smith. A boy that you, uh, your boy or Irv Smith goes to Minnesota at 50. Yeah. I mean, literally a boy in that I think he's 20. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is interesting. Um, not not a great landing spot because he's going to have to be behind Kyle Rudolph for a year. Yep. But Rudolph is in the final year of his contract. Like, I think this is actually a pretty decent situation in which he doesn't have to be the guy for a year. He can start to, you know, like slowly learn the offense, play as the, the second tight end for a year, uh, learn behind Rudolph. I think it's actually a good situation for him. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm still as high on him as I ever was. Like, you know, he's a, a young tight end, uh, who has lots of upside with, you know, good draft capital. Like that's going to be a guy I want. Yeah. And, um, when you look at the rest of the tight ends in this class, uh, you actually do see Drew Sample going to Cincinnati a couple picks later, but I, I still have Smith, uh, considerably higher than I do any of the other ends. Yeah, I mean, Sample, like that was, I think Evan even mentioned it on Twitter, like Evan Silva, like yep. that was one of the worst picks of like the first two, maybe the first three rounds. Like Sample, I, I mean, he's not athletic. He's basically a block first tight end. Like you could have gotten him in the third round. And even if not, oh, well, like you could have gotten someone else who's basically him in the third round or the fourth round. Like that was an absolutely, I mean, that... Like that one pick makes me question everything about Cincinnati. <laughs> like I, I know that seems weird, but it's like if you yeah. think that getting this player in the second round makes a difference for your team, your team is lost. Right. No, like I've always kind of gone under the, the standpoint that if I was an NFL team and I'm at a spot in a draft where there is not a player at a position where I need that player that is very exciting or intriguing, I'm going for a lineman or somebody on the defensive line just to try to take another swing at one of those positions that is going to be able to fortify uh, depth at a position where you're really going to need it. You know, yeah. whereas I think like taking a tight end, the odds of a player like Sample working out are pretty low. And does it radically change your team having him? I doubt it. 
Yeah. Or even better, just trade down. Yeah. Like there's always going to be a team out there who covets some guy on the board and thinks we must have him and I'm willing to give up a pick in the future to get him now. You know, so like if you're ever on the board and you're like, you know what? We don't really like any of these guys. Um, We think some of them will be available later and maybe they offer more value there. Just, I mean, it's always, I, I think it is almost always possible to trade down. Yeah, that that certainly makes sense. Uh, Miles Sanders goes at 53, which we had mentioned. Uh, I'm trying to find other offensive players we have not talked about yet. Um, Damian Harris, we haven't mentioned him. Oh, actually, no. This is this is this is a player that uh, we will get to Damian Harris. But Deontay Johnson goes to the Steelers yeah, at 66. Yeah. I had not heard much talk about him going this high heading into the draft. A lot of guys are really excited about this. In fact, it's kind of being viewed as he is like an Antonio Brown replacement. Yeah, this this is the Antonio Brown replacement pick. Um, the, I don't. I'm kind of conflicted about this one. I think like a really big difference between um, Johnson and Brown. Um, Brown was much more productive as a runner. Um, I think just as productive as a returner. Um, more consistently productive as a receiver, like productive right away as a receiver. Um, and that wasn't the case with Johnson. And like Brown never had a season in which he tailed off. Like he was good for three straight seasons. Um, Johnson was good last year. Um, and I kind of wish he would have entered the draft last year. Like he actually technically could have. He was a redshirt sophomore. Um, but returned to Toledo and had, I mean, I it was a subpar season. Like, I don't think there's any way of actually kind of looking at the numbers and saying like, oh yeah, this was a decent season. Like at best, it was a decent season. I think it was actually a subpar year for him, Um, but somehow drafted in the third round. Like he is, he is intriguing. Like, I don't want to say that he, um, like I can see the similarities to Antonio Brown and like I, I point those similarities out in an article, but I don't think he actually will become Antonio Brown. Right. I don't I mean that that's a stupid statement because obviously no one's going to become Antonio Brown. I don't think he becomes like 50% of Antonio Brown. Right. I've always been a huge proponent of Pittsburgh being a fantastic place for a player to go and be successful. I think that it's a very good landing spot for a receiver. But to try to draw some type of parallel, especially in a fantasy perspective, that somehow Deontay Johnson can step into an Antonio Brown role, if you will, I don't think really makes much sense to me at all. Because if you're looking for a player that kind of breaks the mold of what their athletic profile may have told you, um, it's Antonio Brown, right? Like, I I do think it's very clear that he's been at least one of the top 10 receivers we've seen in the last 10 years in the NFL. And the way that he has been able to produce in so many different phases of being a wide receiver to expect that another player is going to come in and be able to do that just doesn't make sense. And you'll also look and and see the success of Juju. Well, I think that Juju also is an incredibly talented wide receiver. Uh, So I just don't think it holds any realistic talk or expectation of Jones coming in and just because he's going to be taking that Antonio Brown role being successful. So I ended up with him a lot lower than many other guys. Yeah. I think the, like the thing with him is that um, he will, I think kind of be more of like an Emmanuel Sanders in terms of what he does in that offense. So I could see him having like multiple seasons of like 600 to 800 yards which is like, that's fine. Like that's, you know, like that's a decent number two, number three wide receiver. Um, but that's not something that like is going to make a difference for your fantasy team. Um, but one thing that, I mean, does, does intrigue me is that like he did have, uh, touchdowns as a kick returner and a punt returner in each of the past two seasons. Like he, even without having good speed, he does have this like spatial awareness, like this ability to, to make cuts, like to find the creases to get lots of yards. And that is a skill that Antonio Brown has. You know, I think people, um, I think they give Brown too much credit for his speed. He's not yeah, like he's that not very fast, fast of yeah. a guy. Um, it's just that he's very good at making these cuts and creating space. Um, and that's something that Johnson seems to have a skill for, but like, I don't know if that's the case. 
you know, like I don't watch tape. I think even if you do watch tape, I think it would be hard to say, oh, this guy has this skill. But um, I think it's I think it's possible he has that skill. There's one way that he ends up being, um, you know, like an Antonio Brown type of player. And that is he shows up with a bleached blonde stash. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> when, when You know, when the season starts. Uh, yeah. Jalen Hurd goes to the 49ers at pick 67. Another wide receiver that they're adding into the mix for Garoppolo. Um, starting to feel like there's a lot of names in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, this, this I don't was know if I can feel pick. that great about any of them. This was weird um, because he has only one year at wide receiver. Even when he was at Baylor, you know, ostensibly playing wide receiver, he still got a lot of his production on the ground. Um, I mean, he's not polished as a wide receiver. I don't, I mean, like, what is he? Like, I think he's going to end up being like this H back type of player and they move him around where he plays some out wide, some at tight end, some in the slot, you know, maybe even some a little bit at fullback, some at halfback and like just moving around as like this versatile guy. And it's like, okay, that could be very useful for your team from like a real football perspective. But, um, that doesn't mean he's going to get a lot of production. Um, that doesn't mean his production is going to be consistent. Um, and I just like, I don't think that's something that fantasy players can count on. Yeah, no, they definitely can't. Um, two running backs that I want to talk about before uh, we run out of time here. Uh, Devin Singletary goes to Buffalo at pick 74. I think he seems like the type of player that it's easy to imagine becoming LaShawn McCoy in Buffalo. We've talked about Singletary a lot. I have significant concerns. Um, you could spin this, though, as I guess a, a good landing spot for him in that there is a clear path to playing time. Yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time seeing him become LaShawn McCoy because so much of LaShawn McCoy is like his athleticism or like his agility. And Singletary is just a non-entity as an athlete. Um, <laughs> you know, like yep. that's just – but I mean, he was really productive. And also another thing, like Singletary, he was a good receiver as a freshman, but he did nothing in the receiving game the past two seasons. So like he's basically a small, slow, mid-major back who had a lot of production, but um, I don't know, just like I, there are so many, as you mentioned, like there are concerns with him. Um, I have to take him seriously because they did draft him with the third, um, with a third rounder. Yeah. Um, and you can see how LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore, like it's probable neither one of those guys is there next year. And, uh, you know, at this point, like TJ Yeldon would be the only other guy who's kind of standing in his way. So I, I don't know. But even if Singletary gets an opportunity, I don't think he would do much with it. And I don't think he would do enough to prevent them from bringing, uh, bringing in someone else to take his job. So I'm not all that interested in him. I like I've downgraded him a decent amount in my rankings, like relative to where he maybe should be as a third round running back. Yeah, I had him so far down to begin with um that you know like i don't even really know uh where i ended up with him uh just because i am so pessimistic so to close things out here damian harris at pick 87 goes to the patriots which i think some people might have viewed as an, an odd pick but um i think that the patriots like to have a stable of backs that they can use um, Harris might be able to do some of the things that Rex Burkhead could do, perhaps even better as Burkhead is kind of getting up there in age. He's had some injury concerns. Uh, and then also you have Sony Michelle worked out tremendously well last year, but he also has some injury concerns and even some that they would have known about heading into the season last year. So I can kind of get, uh, or understand why the Patriots went ahead and made that pick. Um, the question really just is what you do with him as, as far as being a fantasy asset goes. Yeah. So, um, I, I kind of like some of this. Um, I, I mean, I think he's in a good spot just in terms of if he's able to get opportunities, he could put up a lot of points. Um, as you mentioned, Sony Michelle, the ha there have been injury concerns with him, um, he's, yeah, I think he's going to replace Rex Burkhead. And I think that could be good. Yep. Um, he's better at pass catching than Sony Michelle is, and he's better at running than James White is. 
So like you could see a path to him getting some opportunities. Here's a, a random question, but like, yep. what is really the difference between David Montgomery and Damian Harris? Like they're both third rounders. Neither one is really all that athletic. Um, like they're kind of similar players. I think they're even kind of in similar situations. Like I know people think Montgomery is going to be the clear guy, but you know, like there's Cohen just as a, as in there's white, uh, in new England, um, Mike Davis, like he's not Sony Michelle, but like, he's, he's going to get some carries. Yeah. Um, I just don't see there being actually all that big of a difference between like everything that factors into a model that has to do with those two guys, like their, their physical profiles, their age, um, their, their draft right. capital, their landing spots, their college production. Like, I don't see much of a difference between those two guys. I think that the difference would be, and I'm not saying that I think this is the case, but if you're building out that model and you're assigning values to the players that are in the, for lack of a better term, kind of plotter role, um, people may think that the value that would get assigned to Mike Davis is pretty low. Um, whereas, you know, I don't think Davis is the greatest player of all time, but I definitely think it's possible that he could be better than Montgomery or at the very least good enough to prevent Montgomery from really asserting himself, um, into the role that Jordan Howard, Howard may have played two seasons ago. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't think it's a slam dunk. And then to take it a step further, Harris is in a spot where he has a team that, if they want to use him, we'll find smart ways to use him. And if he does get the opportunity, you have to anticipate that it's a high quality opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. So, uh, one more guy I want to ask you about, uh, Alexander Madison, um, Boise state guy, uh, drafted near the, no, I think at the bottom of the third round, last pick of the third round, um, by Minnesota. Um, you know, reasonably productive, not, great athleticism, but it's not horrible. And he's just 21 years old. Like that's the big thing. Um, so you can say like, yeah, he's going to be a backup, but you know, the history of 21 year old guys drafted, you know, in that draft range, whether you say second, third and fourth, um, you know, who, who are productive, like that's a, like they tend not to fail. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that Madison is the type of name that's easy to get lost in the shuffle here. People um, just assume that Dalvin Cook has that backfield in Minnesota locked down, which it's definitely you know likely that Dalvin Cook is the better back. Having said that, that doesn't mean that he is going to be the only back that they use. I understand that you know he can play as a receiver. He can certainly run. We've already seen Cook mix games. I hate to go back just to that injury kind of narrative, but even if you remove that, I still think that Madison's the type of guy who could, at the very least, get some usage um, right away, and I do think that he could deliver on it. Um, so I think for me, this, you know, maybe made me value him a little bit higher, but, um, yeah, I don't think we want to lose sight of him, especially given the fact that he went at the one Oh two, which is still a pretty high pick. Yeah. Uh, one more question here. Um, Dwayne Haskins, uh, went to Washington number 15 overall. Um, I think it's a decent landing spot. Good for the Redskins for not trading, uh, trading up to get him. Um, I think they showed some real discipline there. Um, what are your thoughts on him as uh, – I mean, like, where is he? Like, obviously, he's not going in the first round. Does he go in round two? Does he go in round three? Like, where do you think he belongs in a class that is, I'd say, like, weaker at running back and wide receiver and so, like, might push up quarterbacks more than uh, we would see in a normal class? Yeah. I think it's hard. Maybe towards the back end of round two beginning of round three. Um, I just don't really like him landing in Washington with the current situation that they have. And I don't see them really being able to build a team around him. The one thing I do have to give Washington credit for though, is they know how to draft running backs. We saw it with Darius guys last year. They took Bryce love this year. I think they get it with the running backs. Unfortunately, I think what Haskins needs is more receivers. Uh, yeah, this is a great team at finding guys who aren't going to be playing for a year, um, <laughs> at the running back position. Yeah. So, yeah. 
But I mean, it, it, you know, it is funny, though, because I do actually really like both of those guys. And the thought that I did have during this draft, if I was a team that wanted a running back, I would have tried to make a move with Washington to get Darius Geis. Because uh, I think if Geis was in this class, you could have made a very compelling case that he was would have been the top back. Yeah, I think that's probable. I mean, I think a lot of backs from previous years would have been the top back in this class. Yeah. Um, final thing that I want to point out too, um, at pick 100, the Panthers take Will Greer. Will Greer actually should have gone at pick six to the Giants if they weren't going to go on Hask- with Haskins. That's funny. Um, why are you saying that? Well, because Will Greer is the only other quarterback that you can look at uh, depth of target, adjusted yards per attempt, their overall college production, and point to actually having the uh, you know like a chance of being a successful NFL quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, Greer was my number three quarterback uh, entering the draft. Um, I don't think he's going to have NFL success just because, I mean, at this point, he's a backup, like yep. the team that he's on. I just don't think it's going to work out. But yeah, um, I think he's, um, you know, yeah, I think he, he could have had success if he had just landed in a different spot. Right. All right. Well, we've actually gone a little bit over here, Matt, and I think that we still have a lot of... Uh territory to cover next week so maybe we'll just kind of pick up where we left off um and then revisit anything that changes with more time to uh to 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 think these landing spots through any closing thoughts for you uh no i'm just uh happy that the the draft uh i don't know it's always like a fun event uh so i'm happy we had it i'm happy it's over and uh, we can start moving on to other things in the off season yep hey real quick have you ever been recognized as Matt F. the Oracle? No. Really? No. No. It, it'll be weird if it ever happens. Oh, yeah. That, that's disappointing. Uh, I almost want to hire somebody to find you in Iowa and just like track you down and be like, holy shit, it's Matt F. the Oracle. Yeah, that would that would be weird. Please don't do that. <laughs> All right. On that note, um, we're going to wrap things up here. I'm not looking at a script, so... Find us uh, on whatever podcast service you use. Leave a comment, uh, rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, We will see you next week for at Matt F. The Oracle. I am Dave Cabin reminding you, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.